Hello, and welcome to In the Kitchen with Brett Thorne, a food service industry podcast by Restaurant Hospitality. I'm your host, Senior Food and Beverage Editor, Brett Thorne. My guest for this episode is Aaron Taylor, who is the corporate chef of Atlas Restaurant Group, which you probably haven't heard of unless you're in Baltimore, where the company is headquartered. But it's a pretty big company, with 27 restaurants in multiple markets, as well as its own farm. You'd think that would be enough to keep Taylor busy. He does oversee 19 chefs, after all. But he also spends his time working with local schools to encourage kids to work in restaurants or elsewhere in food service, because it's a career path open to just about anyone, and you don't necessarily have to spend 14 hours a day cooking on a line. Labor has been a problem for restaurants for at least the 24 years that I have been covering the industry, and no doubt it has been tough longer than that. But many operators say that 2020, 2021, and 2022 were the worst years for finding staff. Any staff. I've heard countless stories of potential employees who don't even show up for interviews or who are hired and never show up for work. They vanish without so much as a text. So of course restaurants, being the creative machines that they are, are getting creative with their staffing. I was in Orlando, Florida a few weeks ago moderating a panel discussion on Well, it was on what most of the panel discussions I moderate these days are about, and that's that it's hard to run restaurants, that inflation, labor, and supply chain issues are making everything even harder than they normally are. The good news is that all three of those issues seem to be getting better, but labor has and probably always will be the most significant pain point for restaurants. Two of the three panelists I spoke with actually had a similar approach. They're hiring recently incarcerated people, sometimes people still living in halfway houses. That can be a problem if the employees are expected to work late at night because halfway houses have curfews. But the panelists reported that these formerly incarcerated employees often work hard and are grateful to have their jobs. And of course, it's it's a largely untapped market. Maybe that's something for you to consider if you're trying to find good help. Or maybe you could visit your local schools. My guest, Aaron Taylor, has had some success with that, and he has also found it really rewarding to expand the horizons of the inner-city kids he's working with. We had a nice chat about it, and you're about to hear it, because here is Aaron Taylor. Well, I I think uh, I personally am interested to understand the Atlas Restaurant Group better? Because I, I feel like it's one of those really interesting kind of multi-concept groups that is under our radar, which makes me feel bad because I want to know more about what you guys are doing. So I think I think we're under the radar because of the market that most of our restaurants exist in. And we're in, in Baltimore City. And I don't think people really think of Baltimore as a dining destination. Um, and Atlas has been around for 11 years now with our original concept, Uzo Bay. And now we're upwards of 27 different concepts, um, if you count them all, depending on who's counting. <laughs> um, but we're multifaceted. And I think we fly under radar just because we're in the Baltimore market. Um, you know, I, I tell people the story all the time. I was living in Chicago um, when I came for my interview. And my girlfriend says, we're not moving to Baltimore. Like, I don't know. What are you thinking right now? And I said, no, I, you know, these, they've got some stuff going on. And I think it's a really interesting group and I need to go check it out. 
And here we are four years later. And what I saw when I came in is I saw, you know, big city, big market restaurants um, that were, you know, designed on a very high level with very intricate designs and uh, food programs and service programs that we're trying to hit on very, very high levels. And in Chicago, what were you doing? Uh, so I was living in Chicago for the last two and a half years before we moved here. Uh, previously, I was the corporate chef for STK and uh, the One Group, mm-hmm. and I was with them for almost eight years. Well done. So what is your job? You're the corporate chef of of the whole Atlas Group, right? That yep. So what... What does that entail? Having to deal with 19 chefs, as you said, 27 different, different locations. What What is your day-to-day life like? So my day-to-day is depending on what's going on. Um, if we have an opening, I'm at the opening for about a two and a half month period. Um, and that entails you know, menu development, recipe development, um, procurement, just day-to-day, excuse me, execution of the restaurant, getting like uh, what I say to everybody, just getting over the hump of the opening. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, opening a restaurant can be probably the most challenging thing that you would ever do in this business and being able to sustain that for a while. Um, once I get out, outside of the opening wash or whitewash, that's what I would call it. Um, I am in the units overseeing the chefs. I work with the chefs hand in hand, um, from a recipe and menu development standpoint, um, from cost structure and just, you know, the day to day chef stuff and you know if they need advice or i need to push them in a certain direction i'm there for them to do those types of things um you know my goal is to hire as talented person as i can put in that fits into that concept um and to grow them and mentor them and hopefully that uh, we are in a mentoring environment where we're also developing our bench within the company and promoting from within so that you know we have much more success stories of you know, line cooks to become sous chefs, sous chefs to become chefs in the company, or even down to dishwasher, the line cook, line cook to sous chef to chef. So, you know, that that's a lot of my role. And then I do a lot of community outreach within the company. Um, you know, one of one of the big things in my latter years of my career right now is um, trying to outreach to uh, local schools within Baltimore City. And, you know, because Baltimore has its issues. And, there's a pretty large segment of the population that doesn't see a way out of where they're living and what they're up against in the day-to-day life. And one of my big things is that I want to reinvigorate the industry to young kids and say there's a career path and not only within our company, but within the industry as a whole. And, you know, you might not make a ton of money, but you can support yourself and you can support your family and you can be as creative as you want to be in certain levels, or you can be as just, I want to run the dining room at Sodexo in an office building, and I want to work a nine to five job. And you can you can do that, but you have to learn to craft first and foremost, and you have to learn the business side of it. So I do a lot of outreach with the high schools. Um, we'll bring them in, uh, groups of about 15 to 20 kids, and I'll tour them around. Some of these kids you know, have never been able or had the financial means to eat outside of a restaurant like McDonald's. And we take them to one of our highest end restaurants and show them around and let them see a side of Baltimore that they might not never have known exist and have them come in. And I encourage them to try things. And I'll take the kids over to Lock Bar and say, hey, have you ever had an oyster before? And I'd say 95% of them say no. And I say, look, you're here to try stuff. 
go ahead and trust me and try it. And to see a kid that's 16 years old try an oyster for the first time for me is like a really empowering experience. And I hope that it it's impactful on their lives. And that's one of the things that um, we, one of our pillars in the company is community outreach and making sure that we're doing those things on a, a regular basis. And it's something that I um, see a lot of good in and really want to push. And as we are growing, I would, nothing would make me more happy to see kids come from the local school system and come and work with us and become chefs or whatever it is that they want to do, but have an impact on their lives and give them an out personal output that they didn't know existed before. Have you been able to do that yet to hire? So we have three young men that are, one is currently a senior in high school and he came from one of the high schools in the area and he's, done an amazing job and he's in an environment you know i can't just pull them in and say go work at this restaurant it's got to be with the right chef that's going to spend time with them it's going to be somewhat of a nurturing environment because a lot of these kids they don't even know how to work and that they have to show up to work on time <laughs> things like that um so we have currently three kids one is at valley inn one's at perennial and one is at bygone and perennial and bygone perennial sounds kind of farm to table-y Somewhat farm to table. It changed the menu four times a year. Um, it's a, again, a one-off concept that we have out in Towson. Um, and it we change the menus every four months seasonally. We try to do as farm to table as we can, source as much local product when we can. We try to get as much as we can. Um, and it is a, we've managed that restaurant for a year and a half now. And it's been very successful for us. And then Bygone? So Bygone is our rooftop restaurant at the Four Seasons Hotel. Um, it's on the 29th floor of the Four Seasons in Baltimore. It overlooks, you can see almost 365 view degree view of the city. Um, but, it, you know, there's not a lot of rooftop restaurants in the United States. And we are very fortunate we have one in Baltimore City. That's great. And so what are these kids doing in these restaurants? Just work, you know, they're prep cooks. Uh, one of them is a line cook um one or two are prep cooks one's line cook and they're just learning you know the basic day-to-days of how do you chop and follow a recipe and show for work on time and be ready to work every day and have a positive attitude and all those things that come along with it that's awesome so how many of the kids when you have them try an oyster spit it right out i've only seen two. Oh. And most of them are like, wow, that was really interesting. It's saltier than I thought it was. I like the texture of it. Or can I have another one? Of course, here, try another one. You know, well, it's, I like it's, the texture of it. That's interesting. I mean, I love yeah. oysters, but I also, I think it was last year or the year before, uh, I was out with friends of mine, and one of them had their, their son, who was like eight or nine years old, and he was super psyched to try the oyster. And then it just, he managed to swallow it, and then it came right back up. <laughs> no, I haven't seen one spit one out. Uh, or maybe like two or three kids spit one out. They were like, "Yeah, it's just not for me." Which I can, I can respect that. You know, not, yeah, it's not well, for everybody. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, urbane adults who don't like oysters too. Yeah, it, it. You know, my oldest one, so my oldest daughter's turning eighteen, graduating high school this year, and she is a food snob. I would say, where she will sit down and order caviar. If I had the if she had the opportunity, she would order caviar. Um, and she will take down 24 oysters by herself. And, uh, it, you know, I, I love seeing that in her and I love seeing that in kids and being adventurous. And I think it just makes them such a well-rounded person. 
Totally. Well, and speaking of well-rounded, you don't just have restaurants. You guys have a farm, right? Yeah. So we have a small three-acre farm in Carroll County. Um, it's 100% organic principles. Um, it's run by one single farmer. He has a, a helper. Um, and, you know, we try to produce as much as we possibly can. Um, and when he's producing products, we feature it on all the menus uh, across the company, not in, you know, some of the the lower price point concepts, just because the produce is very expensive. Um, but, you know, we use as much as we he can produce. And, you know, we're so big now that it's almost more than he can produce, even in peak season. But, you know, like we have multiple different heirloom varieties of snap peas or turnips or thing, you know, uh, lettuces and things like that. It's a cool program. Um, you know, I actually take my stepson out there to have him put some work in <laughs> during the summer with our farmer and stuff. How do you figure out like what to grow? Like what's, what provides you with the maximum? Experience? So we try to work with, I'll work with Larson, who's our farmer. And he'll say, look, these are the best yielding crops that we can produce. Um, the goal is to make sure that we're yielding as much as we possibly can so that it's, you know, we can get the farm to be somewhat break even-ish. <laughs> you know, it's more of a pet project than anything. Um, and he'll say, look, there's this variety of this. I can grow this for you. We can have this much be produced. And then we'll work with the chefs to say, hey, what are you guys interested in? Does this particular product work? So, you know, the first year we did it was we were coming off of being closed for three months and it was really tough for him. It was tough for us because we had limited capacity and he was producing these Japanese turnips. And I'm like, Larson, nobody wants to buy the turnips. And he, he's like, but I never had problems selling them at the farmer's market. I'm like, that's great and all, but you have three rows of turnips and no, none of the chefs want them because we're having trouble moving them at the restaurants. So we've adapted and gone to like workhorse things that we know we can sell and we know people are looking for and it, and it really fits our, our concepts. So what are some of those workhorse programs? So heirloom tomatoes. He has six fields of heirloom tomatoes and we'll do up to eight different varieties of heirloom tomatoes. Um, lettuces. Uh, coming into springtime in Maryland, lettuce is strong. Uh, we'll do beets. We do four or five different varieties of beets. Uh, in fall, we roll back into like carrots and and more lettuces again. Summertime is cucumbers. We'll do a couple different varieties of cucumbers. Uh, springtime, we do snap peas, a couple different varieties of snap peas. We do blooming arugula, um, you know, as much uh, different varieties of stuff. And, it's a cool program. And about how many of your restaurants use them? Um, Almost all of them when we're rolling. So he does, he'll do the heirloom variety tomatoes, and then we do like workhorse tomatoes. Um, and it's a new girl tomato, and we'll put those in all the restaurants. And that's what we use for our sandwich tomato. And how, how do you promote this fact? Um, I, it, I don't think we do as good a job of promoting as we should. Um, I think it's just a niche thing that we have, but we'll talk about it. We put on the menu. Every menu will have a at, quote unquote Atlas Farms salad. And that should shift throughout the summer and spring and fall as what he has available. And, you know, if we have something on the menu during that time and we're able to shift the menu, it'll say Atlas Farms heirloom tomatoes or Atlas Farms squash. And are your customers psyched when they see that? Yeah, I think they are. I think it has a lot of, you know, 
face to where the food is coming from and understanding it's not just coming from California and coming in on a box off a truck. That makes sense. And then uh, we also we also participate in farmers markets. Um, we have a restaurant in Fells Point, and they'll do a stand and sell produce at the stand as well. And it's something to talk about. Say, hey, you know, if you like the produce, you can go to the restaurant, and we have some dishes that are featuring these ingredients at this time. So it's it's a marketing thing, which of course makes sense. Yeah, it helps as well. Yeah, and it's it's a great thing. And like, there's nothing like having a tomato that's been picked off the vine two hours ago when you're receiving it in. And and uh, does your uh, kitchen staff at, from the restaurants go to the farm very much? Um, the chefs will go up, but not much right now. It's you know it's about a thirty minute drive from where most of our restaurants are, um, so the cooks and stuff don't go up. But the chefs will go in, and you know sometimes they'll help harvest when he needs help harvesting, and try to participate as much as we all can. Like when we were shut down during COVID, you know, I was out there four days a week just for something to do. And just planting product and stuff. So, yeah, that's handy. Yeah, uh, it gave me gave me something to do. When it gives you something unique, or, or at a time when I think procurement of things is still challenging, although easier than it was a few months it, ago. It has gotten better. Yeah, it's it has gotten better, but there's still its moments um, where procurement has been difficult. Um, but it has definitely improved. But you know, it's like I was talking to one of the chefs about it. I'm like, do you remember when? You were ordering ketchup and they're like, we don't have ketchup. <laughs> right. Yeah. And now you place an order and like, all right, 90% of the things came in. That's a win right now. That's that's great. Uh yeah, I've I was on an earlier call today and and they were talking about how now you have to their the effort is to go back to what they really want rather than what they've settled for over the, the yep. past couple of yeah. years. And now, now it's time to raise the bar again and bring back exactly the kind of ingredients that, that you want. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some challenges out there still, um, from chicken to eggs to uh, the beef market is very challenging as well right now still. So there's some challenges. I, I hope that we're going to get back to a settled market, but I don't know if we're ever going to return to the 2019 market that we had before. Yeah, we'll just have to figure that out. Yesterday, I had two hard-boiled eggs for breakfast. From that I bought at a little sort of cart outside our office, and it was a dollar fifty for two hard boiled eggs. And I was thinking that that's like a seventy percent food cost for this for this poor guy at this point. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's challenging. Yeah, so, yeah. A case of eggs comes in at like seventy something dollars. It's like, is this really real? Are we? Is this real? Oh yeah, it's real. And so, is that mostly your job or the chef's jobs, or how how do you divide that from a procurement standpoint? So I work with our director of purchasing. Um, we negotiate deals. Of course, we work with a broadliner on some things, and it depends on the concept and what's available. So Teresa and I will work hand in hand at laying out what the spec is, and the spec can vary depending on what the concept is. Um, and we try to negotiate the best price and use our buying power to our advantage. Um, and then we work with the chefs on what they're looking for that's going to fit that particular recipe. Um, you know, at our Italian concept, we only use organic brown eggs for a reason, because that's how we want the pasta to look. And that's what we're going for. And even when the price went up, it was what it was. And, you know, the same thing, we, we sell a ton of crab. And when, you know, king crab is almost unaffordable. And when it went up, we just said, we're going to stick to our guns and continue to offer the product to the guests. And 
it has, I think, been one of the most beneficial things that we've done as a group is just stick to what our product standpoint is from a quality standpoint and just continue to offer what we can and not compromise product. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I, I did you raise prices and let your customers know what was going on? Yeah, of course we. Yeah, of course we had to. There, there's, yeah, there's no. Way. I want you guys to make money. I want everyone to make money. Look, it, it's it's you're out here trying to do it, and you employ a lot of people, and you know it's sadly, like in any other business, it's getting rolled on to the consumer. Yes, but you also like, you have to get paid. And Correct. So, yeah, we're know, not. They, your we're customers. not playing restaurant. Yeah, we're right. not playing restaurant. <laughs> Exactly. Just and remind your customers to drink more. Yeah, right. That's how you make up the margin. I mean, come on. I, I've heard that some restaurants got hit relatively hard by dry January this year. That, that their customers were legitimately drinking less. Was that so? Our alcohol sales have kind of tailed off compared to 2019, just from a a percentage mix, hmm. but. You know, we had a in a comparable year over year, we had a much better January just because of what we were dealing with last year in January yes. um, with, you know, Omicron and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, January has been good. We're rolling into the first two weeks of February, which have been very good as well. So we're, well, I think we're on a good path, barring anything, ex existential circumstances that are more out of our control. Again, I, I think we're on a, a really good path. Well, that's great. Good to hear, and 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 that it's people do seem strangely optimistic about twenty twenty three, even though I'm, I, I'm very optimistic about it. I am. I listen to, you know, business analysts every morning when I'm driving my kids to school, and you know, I I still feel very optimistic about where we're at, and I don't think we're going to hopefully see a huge economic turndown. Yeah, people seem to think if there's going to be a recession, it'll be short and not. You know, oh, look, I, I'm not an economist, but I'm bullish on what we're doing. So I, I'm bullish on our company and I'm bullish on our economy and I'm bullish on, you know, America as a whole and us pushing forward and getting through this. Awesome. So what are the plans for Atlas Restaurant? Because you said you're open a bunch of opening stuff all over the place. So we just reopened Oregon Grill. Um, Patrick Sutton did an amazing job revitalizing the old glory of the building and uh, highlighting what the glory of the building is uh, with the original stone that was built in the late 1700s. Uh, so we just reopened that uh, steakhouse type menu. Uh, we'll change the menu from on some things uh, about three times a year seasonally, three to four times a year. Uh, and we have three more openings this year that we're going to be doing. So we are opening a lock bar in Philadelphia in late summer, uh, which is a our first step into the Philly market. And then we are opening another steakhouse that's going to be our steakhouse brand that we're going to try to develop and open up in a couple more cities uh, in the old Fleming space in downtown Baltimore and Harbor East. And that'll be around October, November time. And we just opened a concept in Washington, D.C. in the Moxie Hotel called Parlor Victoria. Uh, and that is, you know, same kind of like a lock bar concept, very seafood focused heavy oyster focus, raw bar. And then also on the rooftop there, we're opening a tequila driven rooftop bar with some tacos and ceviches that'll open up probably somewhere mid to late March. So you have 
Greek, Mediterranean, Italian, Japanese, speakeasy, Mexican, like you you do it all. How, yes, how it, look, it's it, that is one of the challenges of our co our company is that, you know, we're not a single box where, you know, I told people when I was with SDK, we just picked up the box and moved it. And yes, it was challenging to do it. But the challenges that we have is that all of our concepts are pretty much different. And it's how do we adapt the menu, adapt the service to fit the concept of what we're looking to try to do. So, you know, my my relationship with ownership is that he'll give me the framework of what he would like to see um, from a menu offering standpoint. I'll develop the menu um, with the chef and then we give our proposal to ownership and he either says thumbs up or thumbs down and we go from there. Makes sense. I, 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 is there a particular like idea, a broader or deeper philosophy about what an Atlas restaurant is? So the philosophy is quality of product first, first and foremost. We try to produce the best quality product, procure the best quality products we can um, to deliver the best guest experience. So quality of product, guest experience with entertainment value mixed in is our concept as a company. If you go to any of our restaurants, we have entertainment five to seven nights a week, some type of entertainment component, whether it's a DJ, whether it's a piano player, whether it's a single person with a guitar um, entertaining on their own or a three-piece band. Um, in our Houston location at Lockbar, we have a guy that comes in, Little Terry, and he's very old school rhythm and blues singing and you know, it's a, it's an experience about that and then the food is there and making sure we're procuring the best freshest seafood we possibly can get our hands on at all times and that's working with our our partners like we use Samuels and Son out of Philadelphia and because we didn't like the product that we were finding in the local market in Houston we fly it in from Sam's every day on on a cargo plane and then we have a courier drop it off at our building because of our, our relationship with Sam's in Philadelphia. Wow. Well, it <laughs> makes sense and seems to be where people are going now. If they're going to actually put on their shoes and go to a restaurant rather than uh, get delivery, they want to have an experience. So it seems like you're well placed. Yeah. Look, it's, it's all about, for us, it's, we call it experiential dining. Mm -hmm. Experiential dining, where you're going to get great quality product, you're going to get great service and you're going to get some sort of entertainment piece mixed into all of that. So is your job fun? I love my job. Um, at the, at my point in my career, when I joined the company, it was the perfect time for me to join the company where I was at personally and professionally. And I think it was also the right time for Atlas at the time to have somebody with my skill set and background to join the company. Were you the, their first corporate chef? Uh, yes, as a whole, overseeing everything. So another another layer to make sure everything's. Working. Yeah, just you know, my with my background at SDK, where I had multiple multiple units that I oversaw, it was you know it it's a challenge every day, and it's a it's a challenge that I love, and I, I you know had a I made myself a goal when in 2011 is that I wanted to get to a corporate chef level, and I got to that within two years of my previous employer and 
that's where I want it. For me, it's not just running a single unit. My goals are to have a team, a group of chefs that are aligned in what we're trying to do as a group. And we're all on the same page and we're all moving forward to a common goal. And you're also helping the kids, which is nice. Hopefully, look, hopefully we can have as many success stories. And I tell people this all the time. If I have 20 kids come in and one of them joins or one of them has says they had an impact on the conversation, for me, that is a win. And I will do this over and over and over to get those one success stories because that's what's going to win for us. Excellent. And what a lovely sentiment for our uh, closing note on our conversation. It was uh, really nice talking to you, Aaron Taylor of Atlas Restaurant Group. And I hope we get to do it again. Thank you, Brent. I appreciate your time very much. And thanks for reaching out.